Hi, it's Dan here for Dusty Discs Radio, and this is the podcast Liner Notes, revealing chats with Canada's retro music makers. Today, I'm very honored to once again have as my guest Keith Sharp from the iconic Canadian music magazine Music Express. We'll be talking about his many experiences in the Canadian music scene over the past five decades. Keith Sharp has a lengthy list of accomplishments as an, and is an integral part of the Canadian musical landscape with countless stories to tell. So we look forward to hearing some more of those. So thanks for joining me today, Keith. How are you? I'm doing fine, thank you. Yeah, it's uh, great talking to you again. Well, great. I appreciate it. So we had you on before and just a, a quick recap. You uh, talked about your history and how you came from England and you were raised on Elvis and Buddy Holly and all the musical influences that you had and then uh, came to Canada and through a circuitous route ended up uh, doing sports and then music and ended up starting Music Express magazine, I guess, in 1978, which had been Alberta Music Express in 1976. Actually, so yeah, yeah, it was Alberta yeah. in 1976. And then yeah. it sort of, through a, a record chain at West called Kelly's, um, they, they, you know, uh, were distributing the magazine. And, of course, they're, they were in B.C. and Alberta and Saskatchewan. So, it really, you know, it wasn't really appropriate to call it Alberta Music Express at the time. And then... Um, you know, we sort of outgrew our Calgary location and we kind of had a choice of either going to Vancouver, you know, because we were very tight with Bruce Allen and his staple of people, or moved to Toronto. And uh, in actual fact, right at the end of 79, I went to Toronto to talk to the record companies there about us moving to Vancouver and literally the day that I arrived, the only Toronto-based magazine folded. And they said, no, 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 we don't want you to go to Vancouver. We want you to come to Toronto. Yeah. And you've got to be like the national magazine. So literally, I think it was January of 80. Instead yeah. of going west, we came east. And uh, I've been based out of Toronto ever since. Yeah, well, very nice, and and of course, you established yourself pretty quickly as the uh, a mainstream music magazine, the go to magazine. Everybody you talk to is is aware of Music Express, and then I guess you went through a decline in the '90s, and uh, the magazine ended up folding, and then you resurrected it again in 2012. Is that correct? Well, sort of. I mean, the thing was, um, we kind of had this deal with. Music Land Sam Goody, which is a big an American based uh retail chain, and at the time it was kind of a thing there because like their competition was Tower Records, hmm. and Tower Records had their own in store magazine. And Music Land Sam Goody wanted their in store magazine, and just by coincidence, um, we had done a, a we had a, a, a a distribution agreement with Warner dis- distributors and the magazine ended up in Minneapolis and a gentleman there called Bruce Jesse saw the magazine and then said, hey, you know, wonder the story is here. So he called me up and uh, we talked about, you know, the idea of moving it to uh, to become the in-store magazine of music line Sam Goody. Mm. And like literally overnight, you know, we're in, I think at the end of the day, it was like 1,100 
record stores across North America. Oh, wow. We had a massive distribution. At one point in time, we were doing like 1.3 million copies a month. <laughs> wow. Um, and then we also had newsstand distribution in England and Australia. And of course, we still had Canada. So it was you know, huge at one point. But unfortunately, anything based out of Canada that goes into America always gets that kind of, uh, you know, so at some point in time, you start to lose control over it. And it just got to a point with uh, Musicland and Sam Goody where they wanted to kind of take control. And so we, you know, we said, I don't want to do that. And then the things, you know, they we, when they pulled out, we sort of lost a big distribution point. And uh, we had to kind of go back and just become a Canadian magazine again and then cause some internal problems and, uh, I ended up leaving Music Express and then starting up another magazine called Access. And we had that for about 10 years. And then, of course, with the whole music industry kind of collapsing and the retail situation collapsing, um, I took time off to write my book about all my travels, you know, with Music Express. And then um, in another weird situation, um, I was... I became a sort of security officer, just basically, supposedly, initially, whilst I was getting the book done. And uh, one afternoon or evening, I was in, down at the CNE doing security, and my buddy's trooper were on stage. And I was literally, you know, one of those front guys guarding the crowd against the stage. and. Ray and Brian are looking down at me going like, what the hell are you doing there? So after the end of their uh, their performance, they said, well, come back to the merchandise tent. And I went and talked to them and they said, look, we need that magazine going again because uh, these days we can't get any press and, uh, you know, any thoughts about you relaunching it possibly, you know, as a digital magazine? And as I was on the train going back home, I thought, well, why, why wouldn't I not do that? Yeah. So I started it again as a digital magazine. And so I still kept the security thing going because that's, you know, a regular paycheck sort of thing. But, uh, you know, I found out it was, it was just great doing digitally because, I mean, it's instant, right? I mean, something happens, you can instantly go online, you've yes. got a video. You've got music. And if there's a mistake made, a typo or something, you can instantly correct it. So these are all kind of advantages of keeping it rolling again. And, uh, you know, yeah. and then from that, I've been able to get into management. I manage a band from Montreal called The Box. Yeah. And I manage this amazing country rock band called One of the Cowboy. And I do some, you know, some booking and uh, nice you know, things. Aside from the magazine, but uh, yeah, it's all been kind of you know challenges still, but uh, yeah, still keeping it rolling. So that was in 2012 that you relaunched, and then your yeah, book came yeah. out. Yeah, you say in 2012, and it's, it just seemed to work out a lot better. And as I say, there's instant communication uh, to get the magazine kind of responding. I mean, unfortunately, now a lot of these uh, pop stars are off. You know, 
disappearing on us and <laughs> half the time I'm writing yeah. old bits. It seems. Yeah, and I want to ask you about that I mean, as even well. Even recently, you know, with, with, yeah. with Miles and... Uh, yeah, I want to ask you about that too. But so let me give a plug for your book first, though. And uh, your book came out in 2014, The Music Express, Rise, Fall, and Resurrection of Canada's Music Magazine. You know, you're a Canadian music icon, I guess, in your own right, because of all the uh, experiences you've had and been on the ground floor with a lot of these bands. And you were active in that sort of golden age of of all these bands coming up in the, certainly yeah. in the eighties and into the seventies. Well, I mean, that, that's been the thing. I mean, at that point, you know, the, the, there seems to be a bit of a renaissance with a lot of these bands. I mean, you know, they always felt the legacy wasn't complete and they still had to do something. Right. But, you know, uh, they were putting new albums out, but they weren't getting any airplay. Um, right. So I kind of like initially took that position of, Hey, you know, these are all, you know, good friends of mine as well, and I'd love to be able to do something for them and still be cognizant of any new bands that were coming right. along. Yeah. But uh, still trying to kind of like balance it between the legacy bands and the new bands. Cool. So it's themusicexpress.ca is where That's your book correct. is available, and it's on Amazon as well. I'm assuming you can get that book you know, on other platforms yeah, as well. Yeah, the copies available. Okay, yeah. themusicexpress.ca. Okay, well, good. Well, let me ask you about some of those artists. Now, uh, Alan Frew wrote the forward to your book, and and we talked about that last time, how you guys are buddies. And, uh, you know, he he went through some struggles, and I assume they're out touring again. Have you talked to him? Is he doing okay? Well, yeah. In matter of fact, um, he's got a new album coming out, of, of his own covers and the thing is i mean he's obviously a, a really good friend of rod stewart and rod stewart has made kind of a career now of these you know american songbook albums and alan is basically you know, alan doesn't want to have glass tiger do cover you know cover albums like right. you know david bowie with pinups and the round <laughs> around and people like that but he does it himself and yeah. it's, he did one album fairly, well, a couple of years back, it was absolutely amazing. I and mean, he's covering cool. people like Sinead O'Connor and uh, Midnight Oil and people like that. And now he's got a brand new album coming out uh, in the spring. And uh, I mean, the guy is, is uh, you know, amazing. Glass Tiger is still active. They're still doing yeah, shows good. and stuff. Yeah, because I saw a couple of interviews with him and, uh, you know, he was, while he was recovering, he felt a bit frail, but uh, it sounds like he's back on the, back in the saddle, as they say. Yeah, well, he had that stroke a few years ago yeah. that was really kind of, uh, you know, scary, uh, but uh, no, yeah. I, as far as I know, I think he's, he's, he's basically yeah, good. out and about. Okay. And I have to ask you about Miles Goodwin, of course, because he passed away just uh, just recently. And I read your piece. You wrote a piece uh, on Music Express if people want to yeah. go there and check it well, out. Again, you know, Miles is another one uh, that I've had you know a long relationship with, and uh, you know talked to him on several occasions. And as I say, you know, it was always an interesting character to say the least. And very outspoken, and I think in that piece that you read, I think I explained it. I mean, again, um, when uh, the Henmans all left, I think they just assumed that was going to be the end of April Wine, and they, you know, he went, no, I'll, I'll keep it going myself. And I think yeah. he's been kind of like that benevolent dictator, you know, 
yeah, we can run the band, but I'm so, I have the final word. Right. And sometimes that's been fine, and sometimes that's been like a bit on the rocky side. Well, yeah, you, end. you do mention that. And then the other quote was Miles could be a cantankerous character to deal with. And we found that out in 1982. <laughs> well, yeah, well, again, we just got to kind of know him. And I don't know, he's, he's not, I, I get along, you know, I, I got to get, get along with him, or got along with him fine, uh, because I kind of knew that, uh, you know, he was, at the end of the day, he would put his foot down on the, on the band itself and you know a lot of times when they were, were doing well i mean he was the guy right he so wrote the songs he sang the songs um and then when it got a bit on the rocky side when some of the albums weren't doing well like certain yeah. members of the band started to get a bit critical of him and his attitude was if you can do better you know i'm going to take off to the bahamas for six months or something uh, and when I come back, I expect to see what you've done. And they came back and they've done nothing. So it's well, like, yeah, yes, he showed you, you know, you yeah. need me. And uh, again, it got, it got kind of weird towards the end. And I think they had a few albums that didn't do well. And then when the, him and Brian sort of got, got the thing back together again, just, you know, there's always been a market for them, you know, yeah. whether it's those U.S. Oh, state fairs or yeah. see it, you know, like those exhibitions i mean and they've always done well and i think he just got and he's, and he, had, he had his health problems you know yeah. all along right and yeah uh, yeah it's interesting what what you you point about you know being the band leader being the guy that writes the songs i mean john fogarty went through a similar thing with ccr right it's a push pull i mean you have to have somebody driving the train but the person driving the train can get a little you know edgy or jumpy or cocky about it at times too right so um, well, it's, it's, I think yeah, you got you kind of got to be that way if you're going to be in it as long as they have, and so they've had their ups and downs. And uh, I think you know they got you know particularly him and, and Brian uh, kind of got things rolling again. But I think uh, you know again it's like do we do it again? It's another tour, another tour, and yeah. you know he going to blues album thing where he'd done a couple of blues albums and that's where he wanted to go. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's a bit, yeah, it right. was a bit strange that they had a new a new lead singer and to yeah. replace him. And apparently, you know, the word was coming back that, you know, they were actually doing quite well. But hmm. Miles is April wine. I mean, I don't know yeah. how you get around that. Well, I, I suppose that's that's right. I mean, he sort of auditioned people and replaced himself in the band, which is sort of a disconnect. Yeah. Again, I, 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 I question that. I mean, and again, it's the same with Trooper, where Trooper's yeah. literally got an entirely brand new band, and yeah. Ray and Brian kind of allowed it to happen. But I still feel from a you know huge Trooper fan myself, if I would see Trooper play an all these new guys came on stage. I'd be going, "What the hell's going on it's, here?" It is you odd. Can't they just call themselves something else? You know, a tribute to Trooper. But there seems yeah. to be this stigma about tribute bands. That's really at the end of the day what they are. Well, I guess that. I mean, that's right. And a, a friend of mine is Doug of Doug and the Slugs. Now Ted Okus is the singer for Doug and the Slugs. So when when Doug Bennett died, I thought, well, that's it for them. And then. 
Bernie Albin resurrected them and got Ted Okus to. Now I know Ted quite well, so if anyone could do it, he could, he can, and he's pulling it off, and they're doing it. But you know, you, <laughs> that would be like replacing the actual principal person. Yeah, that's the biggest problem right now with you know all these classic legacy rock bands. I mean, they're not getting any younger, yeah. and it's getting harder and harder for them to kind of go out there and play, particularly when you've got Live Nation with all these other bands, you know, charging crazy amounts of money, right. even though maybe they're into their 70s or something. And then now you've got all these tribute bands flooding the market where yeah. it's like you want to hear the music of that band but you want to pay 15 bucks or something to go see them play. Right. You know, there's, that seems to be the going thing. I'm saying that because of the box. So they've got the, you know, an ongoing problem in that, you know, it costs them maybe, you know, 10 grand to play a show. You know, who, who is going to pay that sort of money yeah. uh, when the market is flooded? Right. All these uh, tribute bands that are playing for like next to nothing. Yeah, and and again, too, some of the bands try to draw the distinction while the original members. Well, yeah, how do you define an original member? Somebody who played the spoons on a track on the third track on an album cut. You know, that's the original member. It's it's the principle, the voice, the the vibe of the band. That's that's what the original band is. And and you're right. There's very few, and they're diminishing quickly because people are getting older and passing on. Well, I mean, you know, it, it, it goes without saying. I mean, if if you're talking about a band that was formed in like you know the 70s and 80s or something, they're, yeah. you know, they're obviously going to be having a hard time keeping it together. Yeah. And I mean, there's so many instances now. I mean, there's that new lady for Toronto replacing right. Holly Woods. There's yeah. you know Paul from Street Heart replacing Kenny. Yeah. Um. And, you know, the headpins, how many girls have they gone through? There's been a few now, um, yeah. And they're still trying to, you know, present the original music, but with new people. And, of course, when they, com- when they run commercials, they say they're playing, it's inevitably the original music that they're playing. So it's not yes. what you're actually getting. But, I mean, it's just the way it is right now, unfortunately. Yeah. I mean, it's like... Uh, there's always that kind of understanding that these bands are never quite going to be the same as they were 20 years ago. Yeah. And I guess, I mean, if you can, if you can put on a show and sell tickets, I mean, that's really the bottom line. If you, uh, if yeah. you have an act. And the, and the, and the thing is, you know, uh, the people don't seem to mind. I mean, you know, I, I was reading reviews as a, a casino in Ontario uh, called Casino Rama. They've been having all these double shows, right, of Trooper right. and Street Heart and Toronto and Headpins. And it's not the original guys, but they seem to be getting a lot of people out and the people seem to enjoy the show. So, I mean, you know, that I guess that's what you've just got to be, you know, to yeah. contend with. If you're yeah. into that sort of music, it's not going to be the same people. And you want to hear it. So then, and getting back to Miles, and he replaced himself in April Wine, and they they still carried on. I don't know if they're getting the same money or the same gigs, but I interviewed Miles actually last year, and I read his book just between you and me. Yeah. And uh, 
he was uh, pretty open about his booze and drug problem that he had, and he was he was quite contrite actually in the book and and when I talked to him about the way he treated some people when he was reflecting back on his life, I thought that was my impression anyway. Yeah, no, yeah. As I say, I mean, I've uh, I've you know always had a pretty good relationship with him. I mean, even when he was doing his blues albums, he would always call me up and say, okay, we've got this blue album, blues album, you want to talk about it? And, and he knew what he was up against. I mean, the, the blue society in Toronto is very closed-minded. And, if, yeah. you know, they don't like, uh, they didn't like original new blues music, which, of course, he was doing. So mm. they would be, you know, kind of scornful of that. But, I mean, at the same time, blues bands they're, they're all dying out yeah well, so uh you know yeah. i thought they had to cut him some slack and i thought some of his music was actually quite good yeah well the interesting thing about miles that i found is that like when i interviewed him he didn't really want to talk about the past that much like the the whole sort of april wine thing it was like yeah 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 but he wanted to look forward even even yeah, in his advanced years right he was saying i got this album coming out i'm writing these songs and yeah and the blues thing of course was never embraced the way april wine was yeah. but i'm not sure that he expected that would be the case yeah well another thing was uh, literally a week before he died I was talking to Dan Hill because mm. Dan Hill had just put out this kind of compilation record. And Dan had said that Dan and Miles had been touring together, well, had toured one date in a place called Markham, uh, where they kind of just did an acoustic thing where they traded off in each other, uh, you know, the way Elton John and Billy Joel were doing it. Right. Yeah. And he said it was phenomenal. Mm-hmm. And that uh, Miles was, you know, still an amazing voice and everything. And they had planned to do in the spring a whole raft of acoustic shows. And of course, unfortunately, that's not going to happen now. Huh. But it, but I think it came as a shock to Dan that yeah. Miles kind of went, went so quickly. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah, I, I was a bit surprised. He was in his 70s, so he wasn't, you know, old, old. He was, he was advanced in years. And I guess you, you chronicle some of that and he does in his book too, about his health problems. He did have some serious health problems, almost died, I think in, yeah. in uh, 2008 or, or somewhere around. Well, yeah. There. I mean, again, it's just unfortunately, I mean, uh, as you kind of roll along, I mean, every year you kind of wonder, I mean, who's going to be next? Oh yeah. I mean, yeah. it wasn't that bad this year. I mean, we are, you know, last year we was course Gordon Lightfoot and Miles and Bruce go through and the two Backmans um and you kind of wonder what's happening in the states I mean generally you don't hear about how badly someone what's that shape learning until it's almost too late but uh, you've got to figure that some of these people are now getting into their 80s and stuff well, That's especially the guys that like to play till the day they, I mean, B.B. King well, and those yeah. guys. Are, <laughs> I mean, if you look at, like, say, Phil Collins, I mean, oh, people geez. were, you know, uh, Live Nation was just charging ridiculous amounts of money to see Genesis. Yeah. Um, you know, poor old Phil sitting there in his chair. Throne that he away. had. <laughs> um, but, I mean, that's what, I mean, if you want to see Genesis, and you know, it's yeah. kind of on your bucket list still. I mean, that's what you've got to kind of understand yep. is that they're, they're not going to be the same as they were 30 years ago, and that's to be understood. 
Yeah, that's right. I mean, they're living legends and you have to watch them for what they were, not for what they are. Um, and then with Miles, I think he was still pretty vibrant till the end. I, I, I get yeah. with Miles, I think he was probably his own worst enemy in some ways, but he left a huge legacy. And I'm I'm a big April Wine fan, and I, I grew up on those songs. And that album, Stand Back, when I interviewed him, I had to say, like, I was a teenager when Stand Back came out, and that's still one of my favorite albums of all time and stuff. And he didn't really want to talk about it. But I said, well, Miles it's part of the legacy that you've left this world. You have to, <laughs> you have to embrace that in some measure. Well, thank you. What was you great agree. was um, the one, one thing that I, when I talked to him that he was always kind of really upset about was that he never got inducted into that songwriters hall of fame. Oh, huh. and that happened, you know, last year. So yeah. I'm, I'm glad that happened for him. And uh, I think, you know, again, his ability as a songwriter might have been somehow obscured, but yeah. he obviously wrote some amazing songs and Fantastic. it's great I'm that he finally fan. got, uh, you know, yeah. recognized. No, that's good. And I'm a huge fan. And then, which trans uh, translates right into Gordon Lightfoot too, because, you know, I play guitar and sing all the time and I do acoustic events and stuff. And people ask me who my favorite uh, singer songwriter is. And I always say Gordon Lightfoot. Gordon Lightfoot, I mean, again, um, he was still out there playing, like, last year. And, yeah. You know, I mean, no one is going to look at the, him, you know, in the last year or two and go, yeah, that's the same Gordon Lightfoot. I mean, he was obviously struggling yeah, he um, in his performance. And I remember I had the box playing in uh, Belleville. And Gordon Lightfoot was about due to play about you know, two weeks later. And I was talking to the promoter there, and he says they're having a heck of a time selling Gordon Lightfoot tickets. But, you know, to his credit, he's throwing out there, and he right to the very end. I think he had yeah. four days booked after he passed away. They still wanted, you know, wanted to do it, and there's still people who wanted to see him. I guess, but I mean, if, if I may say, it, it, it had to be a, somewhat of a sympathy audience. I mean, I, I could have went it and was, seen him yeah, in Vancouver. Totally. Yeah. I, I could mean, have seen him in I Vancouver. Think, oh, yeah. And that's, that's the thing now with a lot of these bands is that, you know, like I say, if you're a Who fan, I mean, it's still Townsend and Daltrey, but you'd never, ever think they were anything like where they were in the 70s and 80s when Queen and band, bands like that. I mean, as I say, you know, it's a trade-off now. Uh, if you've never seen them, this may be your last chance. But personally, um, I just want to remember them being, you know, as good as they were rather than all these kind of, you know, like uh, du right. duplicates yeah. of what they used to be. Well, fair enough. And that was the point I was going to make is a friend of mine, called me up and he had a box and he said, do you want to go see Gordon Lightfoot? And I actually didn't go. It would have broke my heart to go and see him. He was so shaky and frail yeah. in the last few years that I just would have hurt me too much. Cause he's so powerful to me, like the, the old recordings and stuff and Gord's gold. And that, that's one of my favorite albums ever yeah. and always will be. So, you know, but then you wrote the article, you wrote a piece on in music express on him and talked about how the band has has relaunched and kept going with Andy Mock. Is it? How do you, I don't know how you pronounce that name? Well, you know, yeah. Again, it's it, it's it's tough for someone to kind of come to terms with the fact that you know they should be you know stopping. I mean, that's why all these bands now 
even like the you know Mick Jagger and the Stones are talking about touring again, yeah. and Paul McCartney's talking about touring the ship. I mean, like, what do you do? So you've got to be kind of like tough when to say, okay, I'm doing it with my own kind of uh, you know idea now. It's the same with that with it, when you're writing an album these days. You know that people aren't going to be playing it on the radio, but right. there's still that kind yeah. of you know feeling that you should, should you still want to do it. Um, yes, even if nobody else is buying it. <laughs> But you're asking people to adjust their expectations increasingly. And so at first it's, a, it's, it's one thing, but then by the time, you know, Gordon Lightfoot at the end couldn't even really sing. So, and now the band is, I guess the band said, well, Gordon's gone, but we want to keep working. We need to make a living. So yeah. they got someone else to well, come see, in. I was talking, yeah, I was talking <laughs> to their manager and yeah. I was talking to the band, right? And they said, well, you know, hey, you know, we've been back in this guy now for like 45 years. And we yeah. know his music, and uh, apparently got one guy, a new guy that actually knows his stuff inside yeah, out. Yeah, Andy M A U C K. I don't know how to pronounce that. Andy yeah, Marker, I saw uh, the plane at the Almacambo, and apparently got a oh. few more dates. And as I huh. say, you know, you can't pass, you can't say it's going to be anything like the original. But for people that want to at least, you know, uh, be reflective of its music. That's right. And, and, and again, you know, you have to adjust your expectations and the, the cost isn't tremendous, but you get to relive that music and, and you gave a couple of examples of bands that are doing that. So, um, who else did you stay in touch with as of the legacy players that you uh, made friends with over the oh years? Uh, there... Basically everybody, uh, Lee Aaron, you know, I always had a great relationship with her. She keeps busy. Uh, street heart through kind of Jeff, Jeff Neal. Yeah. He's always been a good friend. And I mean, again, I mean, all of these guys, you know, there's Al Harlow, Prison. Um, I'm seeing, you know, I, I work, you know, hands on with the box. And uh, yeah, I had John Mark on the uh, podcast here. And I'm a big fan of that band. And I was just so impressed with them. I was probably a little bit of a fanboy, but I mean, that band is really impressive. And, and right from their first album, I mean, they never had the first album sort of blues where you put out a first album and it's not that great. Their first album was excellent. And everything yeah. subsequent to that was excellent yeah. too. So I'm a big well, fan. Yeah, the thing again with the box, I mean, they, it's kind of hard for them to record now, but. I've and I've been involved with those guys now for about ooh, I don't know, five six years almost probably more than that. Yeah. And I've never seen them do a bad show, never. Oh, yeah. I mean they're so entertaining. Uh, they've got the hits, but then again, there's always that kind of like section in the show where they kind of show off their musicianship. Right. And uh, I mean particularly in Ontario and Quebec. They're huge. And I finally convinced Bernie Arbin to get them to come out to Saskatoon for those, nice. you know, rocking the river. Rocking the, rock the river, yeah. And hopefully I can get them out there more often because they need to spread out. And it's yeah. so tough for any, if you're an Eastern band, to justify the costs going out West and conversely. Western yeah. bands going out east is it's not cheap to do. It's expensive, that's right. And and but I I still have closer together on my playlist, and uh, we play it all the time. So yeah, no, no. I mean, as I say, I mean, close together, and 
uh, ordinary people, things like that. Excellent. I mean, yeah, they're absolutely great stuff. Really good. Yeah. So let me ask you some general questions, if I might, because I wanted to get your uh, get your opinion on a few different things. Um, just generally speaking, what is the state of the music scene right now? Or people still love music, obviously, but the enthusiasm of of yesteryear maybe is not as much, or the the golden age has kind of passed. But are you optimistic about the music scene right now? It's tough. I mean, honestly, the, this kind of '80s revival can only last so long. Because again, you know, as we've been saying, a lot of these bands now kind of on that sort of a slippery slope. And I have a hard time, you know, understanding or relating to the new new music. I mean, you know, my son is on top of all of this stuff. And you watch kind of the award shows now, like the Grammys and stuff, and you go, like, who are these people? <laughs> I, I'm with you on that. Uh, you know, again. Because, yeah, I'm absolutely, you know, entrenched in, you know, the legacy bands. And I have a hard time with all of these bands. I mean, I'll watch Saturday Night Live and go, I have no idea who these people are. And that's me, you know, I suppose me being ignorant to, to local trends. But the thing is, every time now we hear all these commercials on TV, there's all classic rock songs being used as commercials. And yep. you wonder, 10, 15 years from now, what are they going to be using, right? I mean, Queen songs being used in pet food commercials and stuff. And it's just, I don't know. Yeah, it's that's true. But what I've noticed, what I've noticed is that a lot of younger people love those legacy bands. I mean, we well, play songs do, yeah. like... I mean, you know, the best one was... Uh, I'm not sure if you... But the Guardians of the Galaxy movies, they always had that running gag about them having, you know, 80s hits on the cassette of the hero in the movie. Yeah. And when I took my son to see the very first, Gal- you know, Guardians of the Galaxy, and I'm, you know, yapping up, oh, that's, ah, oh, that's so-and-so. Watch the movie. And then he came home, and there he is, you know, Googling the soundtrack and listening to the music and said, yeah, those songs were actually pretty good, weren't they? Yeah, they were. So, yeah, I I think there's a lot of the the discovery of of 80s, 90s music. And, again, it's because of, like, commercials and, uh, you know, video games and stuff like that. Um, But then what I I find is stuff. Well, they start to dig into it, right? So, like, yeah. you know, we play songs like "Break Free" by Queen or or um, "Summer '69," any of that stuff. Like, those songs are forty years old, but yeah. teenagers or older, you know, and people in their twenties and that they know those songs. They love yeah. those songs. My, my son <clears throat> discovered "Lover Boy" through a Pepsi commercial or Coca Cola commercial or something. Start <laughs> going, oh yeah, that's "Lover Boy," blah blah blah. You make a good point about the newer bands. Like I don't, I just don't track them. I don't know. You know, we talk about Fake Shark or you know any of those bands. I have no frame of reference at all. Yeah, but I, yeah. I get a kick out of hearing new bands. I can relate to like this band called Crown Lands and just the two guys, and they're absolutely amazing. And yeah. there's a, a a band called Neon Dreams, which is kind of like a sort of a rap sort of a band. But I really like them. Yeah. And then, of course, you've got bands like the Arkells and Glorious Sons. And so there's a yeah. few. 
But I say lots of this stuff, it just seems to be kind of like, you know, just ongoing kind of like factory made stuff that I don't relate to. They all sound the same. It's all kind of like, you know, one song and 15 different people writing it. And this is me speaking unfairly, probably. But and I, I used to do this with my parents, so I'm sure, you know, they would say, well, we don't relate to the Beatles, the Who, or whatever, because we were born, you know, we were brought up in Elvis Presley and Buddy Holly and stuff. And I think people these days look at what is currently going on and go, how can you like that stuff? Well, obviously they can. I mean, you look at, say, Taylor Swift and people like that. So it's it's not fair for me to say, well, you know, how could you like that? Because I like this. I mean, it's just kind of... But there's a little bit of a difference in the sense that, that the golden age of that rock is still pretty vibrant, and even amongst the young people. So you have a band like, say, Greta Van Fleet, who is like the new Led Zeppelin. Yeah, well, yeah, called... Greta Van Fleet is another good example of, uh, you know, kind of like everyone's, oh, yeah, Led Zeppelin wannabes. But, I mean, again, I think there's something so there. Yeah, um, absolutely. I, I think I think it's cyclical. I think, yeah. you know, I mean, everything right now is rap and hip-hop and stuff and, and all of that, you know, the mm-hmm. Ushers and Beyonce's and people like that. Um, yeah. I you know, kind of like to think that it would move on again. I mean, if you look back at all those periods of time, I mean, you know, disco begat, punk begat, glam rock begat, you know, grunge. I mean, it's always been something new. And you just need one or two bands to kind of like, you know, in charge of something new. And then, of course, everybody else has got to jump on the bandwagon. And suddenly you've got a a new movement. You know, what that new movement's going to be, who knows? But... uh, Something's going to happen in the future. The retro feels seem to ha- have uh, struck a chord with the younger people, and and I think there's a band, the Struts, too. I've heard a bit of them, and they're they're pretty smoking, pretty good band, and and yeah. have that retro sort of just down and dirty rock and roll kind of a flavor and an attitude that you know yeah. again what's uh, old is new again in in some measure, and I think that's well, the case yeah. I for mean, that. the other thing is is that you know where you would think, well, all right. Bands who were popular when they were like 30 or 40 are going to fade out and it's going to be something new. But the thing is, those bands that are 30 and 40 are still doing it. You know, yeah. there's, there's still an audience out there. And it's just unfortunate that uh, they can't get arrested with their new music. I mean, it's sad. You know, when you think, think of even people like, say, Paul McCartney um, not getting airplay on his new album and you think if Paul McCartney can't or Bruce Springsteen I think if they can't get out of play on their new albums what hope have they got and you can yeah. see why they put stuff out on a vanity you know a situation where it's like I don't care I'm a songwriter I want to put a yeah. song out and it was actually encouraging that Ozzy Osbourne had that number one album last last year yeah. you know, who would have thought he would actually still be Kind of yeah. relevant. Well, and but again, that that speaks to the larger issue. What's the state of radio these days, generally it's speaking? <laughs> well, again, you're talking to me now. I mean, obviously, with a lot of these kind of bands, you know, a lot of radio stations that cater to those, but you know, those artists in the twenties. I mean, yeah, I'm sure Taylor Swift is complaining about anything. But I mean, yeah. you kind of wonder 
why classic rock radio does not embrace new albums by classic rock bands. It's just crazy for my mind. Yeah, good point. Yeah. These guys are still writing good music. It's just that carte blanche, they just won't play them. Yeah, that's right. They want to hear the classic tunes from back in the day because they have, well, again, songs or hooks you hang memories on. So it's the classic tunes that have the memories attached to them. There's a new Paul McCartney's album. Now here is, you know, the Beatles. I mean, they're not giving any ground. No, obviously there's an advertising thing there. But obviously they don't feel that the advertisers want to appeal to people in their 60s, 70s, whatever. So you're always going to have music that you know that connects with the advertiser as mm-hmm. as much as anything but uh, i just think there's something missing there that's yeah. unfortunate some of these great bands can't put new music out when they want to so they just i mean again now with all the streaming the advantage is that i was talking to that ewan curry guy from the sheepdogs and he says it blows them away that they can go and play in like Czechoslovakia and Austria and all these places and people know their music <laughs> and you there go you how go. the hell yeah. did they hear that one go into YouTube or something and Apple yeah. and it's all there <laughs> and what's your view of the streaming platforms I, I think it's great that you can go and find literally anything you want but you know just you know, press a few buttons and boom um, I mean at home here with my wife and everything, we'll get into kind of arguments and discussions about certain music and she just picks up a phone or I pick up my phone and click, 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 click. Yeah, okay, there it is. Right. And it's, you know, an instant uh, gratification. But as far as trying to make money off this stuff, you know, good luck on that one. Um, so now they have to go out there and they have to play concerts and stuff and that's where, that's where all these charges come in. That's uh, that's why yeah. people are, you know are paying so much to so, see them perform. So then, what's your sense of so the state of radio obviously has gone down. So radio versus streaming platforms. What's the percentage do you think there of of people accessing music? Well, streaming. Again, ooh, um, streaming's coming up. It's right? going to be that battle, isn't there? I mean, I yeah. mean, who actually listens to radio these days? I don't know a lot of people do anymore. I know yeah. I don't. I think that there's obviously, you know, if the radio can somehow come up with platforms that will appeal to people because you can hear any music you want yeah. at any time that you want just by you know, hitting your radio by your cell phone, you're not sitting there going, oh, I, I hope they play this record, I hope they play that record, oh, I'm going to request this record, I'm going right. to request that record. Yeah. I think it, it, you lose something. I mean, in the in the eighties, that's how you knew a record was being successful because you heard it on the radio. Whereas now, there's so much music out there that there's no way you keep on you keep on top of things. But then the other thing, the other interesting stat, which I don't have the the hard numbers, but on the streaming platforms, old versus new music, and the the old older music, like the legacy music, I guess we could call it, it far outpaces the newer stuff, as far as I understand. Well, yeah, I mean, and, and as I say, I think, you know, that uh, the fact is that the, all, the, all the music is now accessible. I mm-hmm. mean, literally, 
give a if you do something in your basement, you can put it on Spotify. <laughs> I don't yeah. know how many people are going to listen to it, but I mean, as I say, I mean, you know, we're in the olden days, the record companies ran the, you know, controlled everything, and you had A and R and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. Now that's taken out of their hands. It's all back in the hands right. of the artists themselves. Now some artists are better at it than others, yeah. obviously. Well, fair enough. Yeah. But at least you know, you know, you know, you're not getting kind of cleaned out by the record company. You're not finding. That you have a hit yep. record and suddenly you still owe them like you know, right thirty forty thousand dollars because remember that limo that you took to the Junos yep. two yep. years ago? Well, here's your bill. Yeah, um, that's right. Or the gatekeepers uh, again, telling I, you I, you I, can't get in because you don't have a record company sort no, of letting you letting no, you again, in the door. Right. Yeah. If you look at a record company these days, what do they actually do? They don't sell oh, yeah. anybody. Yeah. They don't print any, you know, pub print any records or hardly any records. Yeah. Um, it's just kind of a a redundant kind of uh, outlook. But, but again, from from your perspective, if people are streaming songs, they're they're still. I don't know if it's predominantly, but it seems to me they're still streaming the old ZZ Top and Queen and all the songs that they love, right? They're not, you know, searching typically for for newer songs. If I go, if I want to hear Steely Dan, I want to hear you know something from Cat exactly, by a Thrill or something, exactly. right? So, and and and, and again, that that therein is the problem is that if if you're Steely Dan or you're any of these people and you want to put a new record out, you've got to yeah. say, well, why am I doing that? I mean, if I'm going out on concert, the fans don't want to hear the new stuff. And I've probably got 30 songs for my, you know, regular set. So there's no need to do that. The only reason I would do it is like a vanity thing where I do it for my own edification rather than trying to please the fans. The fans don't care. I talked to Ray. That's a fair point, yeah. Yeah, I talked to Ray a few times and I go, Ray, how come you're not writing any new songs? He says, well, what's the point? He says, I'm sitting here trying to do a song list, and I've got an hour and a half, two hours, and I've got 40 songs. They don't want to hear anything new. So where is kind of like the, you know, justification? Yeah. Other than freshening up the, you know, the, the set list and throwing in something to keep the band amused, because we're sick and tired yeah. of doing, you know, we're here for a good time, for the yeah, you know, tenth right. zillionth time. They added "Hey Tonight" by CCR. They used to do that one in the set sometimes. <laughs> they were... Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah it's... so, a couple other things I wanted to ask you about, then sort of peripherally related to this. But we talked last time about the Canadian content rule, and I, and from what I understand, you were in favor of that, and you said it helped a few bands like the Stampeders and and even the Troopers. It helped bands with the CanCon, but now with the streaming platforms, that really doesn't apply, right? Well, no, because as I say, there's just so many ways around it now. I mean, again, you know, if you go back to like the late seventies, early eighties, when the you know Canadian content was was supposed to was was like Anne Murray and Gordon Lightfoot, no. um, and then all those bands were were not getting any airplay. I mean, there's uh, the famous story about you know like of bands just having to jump in the car and drive down to the states to try to get any airplay at all. Mm. Uh, I'm I remember Five Man Electrical Band when they talked about signs, just yeah. what they went through to get airplay. Or even like the Guess Who, everyone thinks about the Guess Who are instantly Canadian. Well, no, 
you got that song, you know, in New York. And then yeah, these New eyes York's was playing the it. Yeah. Toronto thought, well, New York's playing it. We should be playing it. Yeah. But, uh, you know, again, that allowed a whole bunch of bands who were not getting any airplay to suddenly say, well, or is it, it was 35%, whatever it was. It allowed all the independent labels, so I'm thinking of like Anthem and Aquarius and Attic, to be, right. you know, to be encouraged to put music out. I mean, there's a famous story, which I'm sure you know of, of April Wine. I mean, they got turned down by Donald K. Donald, and they got this you know, rejection letter, which they actually thought was an acceptance letter. And the show to be Montreal, you know, packed up the bags, and Aquarius went, well, I've got to do something with them. <laughs> so then they went and did that album, and, of course, Fast Train was the big song off that album, and that encouraged them to sign. And that was a good time. Well, well we need to have some some product out there. Yeah, okay, well, there you go. So, so my point, I guess, is that now with the CanCon rules that are just deflated now because uh, the streaming world doesn't care and, and doesn't regulate no, that at all, right? No. Okay. Because there's so many ways around it. Yeah. I mean, if you don't want to hear anything, you're not going to rely on radio to yeah. play it. I mean, who would have thought, even a few years ago, that your entire record collection would be on your cell phone? Yeah, there you go. Yeah, good point. And then that leads into my next question about AI. You know, how do you think AI is going to affect the music business and the music production business? AI? Artificial intelligence is going to be able to uh, write well, songs, uh, write lyrics, write mix parameters. Yeah, well, I mean, if, if you look at, you know, if you look at production these days, I mean, there's just so many flaming gizmos and stuff now that you don't need, you know, your traditional guitar or drums or, I mean, at one point in time we did have that, you know, yeah, that synthesized stuff, but now even more so, you know, you're talking about auto-tuning <laughs> lyrics I mean, you don't even have to be able to sing anymore. Right, that's correct. You, yeah. just, you know, you just basically go out there and, of course, okay, just turn it over to the, you know, the the, the tech who's now yeah. a producer. And it's like, well, can, you know, mess around with this, mess around with that, and fix this and fix that. And next right. thing you know, you've kind of composed a song. But, uh, you know, is it really a song? Is it really well, the bad person singing? You don't so that, know. that's my question because AI can write lyrics. AI can yeah. scan the existing melodies and write unique Scary times. new melodies. Scary times. Right. And then if you want to sound like, say you want to sound like, uh, I don't know, Can't Buy a Thrill by Steely Dan, AI can take the mix parameters of that, take your song and apply those mix parameters to that. And now you've got the same production as Can't Buy a Thrill. Well, I, I don't want to put cut out of the bag here but there's some of these bands now that are replacing other people in the bands apparently and i'm don't swear to be on this they're yeah. actually playing the back backing tracks of the original people if anyone wants to sound like eddie van halen they can do yeah basically they just basically you know take his his signature sound and you know, perform over it, but you can sound like Eddie Van Halen or anybody else. So and I'm not saying that it's one band, a Canadian band in particular, I wouldn't want to name, but apparently they don't even play their own stuff. They just play the previous guys 
uh, original stuff and, and then just kind of go out there and sort of play over it. But that happens all say, the time. You know, I, that's I, unfortunate yeah. that, you know, music has gone that way. Oh, at some point in time, it was unheard of but for anyone to do backing tracks on the concerts. But then when you get into all these boy bands dancing around and stuff, you go, yeah. it's not possible to be kind of balancing on your head and singing at the same time. Well, and it's true. But kind uh, of a, you know, an accepting thing that, yeah, you can use backing tracks. Well, I know, I know as a musician, as a working musician, I don't use them. We use loops sometimes, but I know hundred percent for a fact that lots of bands, you know, you hear the harmonies are perfect. I mean, they're studio level harmonies or the band is just very flawless. The drummer's got a set of headphones on. They're, they're playing to a track. Oh Happens yeah. It's all the absolutely. time. Yeah. So, I mean, so. You know, once that became accepted, then it's just kind of, you know, all bets are off kind of thing. Yeah. I mean, um, I took my son to see Britney Spears. Right. And uh, she literally did an entire set yeah. on, with backing tracks. Oh, yeah. And there I'm was sure, one yeah. song where she didn't use them, and you kind of wish she did. <laughs> and and that was quite acceptable. So, okay, we'll find that's the way music's going these days. So, but with AI, my, my prediction is that it's going to be a quantum leap. It's going to completely restructure and reform the music business. And, and the fact is com consumers won't care if they hear a song they like and you say, well, that was generated by AI. They're not going to care. No, I don't think. I agree. I totally to agree. Both. And as I say, it's in a way from my perspective and possibly your perspective, it's sad that, yeah. you know, originality goes out the window, but, uh, I mean, Hey, you know, here we well, are again. One Here's person the, described the next it. Movement, the next uh, uh, evolution. Yeah, but this is a quantum leap. This is going from the horse and buggy to a supersonic jet. Here, oh yeah, right? yeah, yeah. It's more than just uh, a, a shift. It's going to be a quantum leap, I think. But you know, we'll see. We we just take it as it comes, right? I'm old school like you are, so I'm just going to ride it out <laughs> old school. <laughs> I just recorded an album with Mike Fraser and, and I told him the same thing because he's recorded, you know, ACDC and Aerosmith and Metallic and all those bands. And he and I are on the same page saying, I'm just going to ride it out old school and whatever happens in the future is what happens. Yeah. Many thanks to Keith Sharp for once again being part of the Liner Notes podcast and sharing some insights from some incredible experiences in the music business. More information is available, as we said, at themusicexpress.ca which is a Canadian music publication. We hope you enjoyed the podcast and invite you to subscribe to it and share it on social media so others can enjoy it as well. And we invite you to listen to Dusty Discs Radio Tuesdays and Thursdays to hear music from the Canadian artists you're hearing on this show. So until next time, I'm Dan Hare.